Talking Heads is brought to you by FanDuel, the leader in one-week fantasy football with more winners and more payouts than any other site. Enter promo code TALKING at FanDuel.com to play a risk-free tournament for up to 10 bucks. We're also sponsored by the SeatGeek app, the smartest way to buy and sell tickets for your favorite sports team. Download the SeatGeek app and enter our code TALKING for $20 off your first purchase. Here's what happens when a bunch of old white guys who solely get their jollies off watching sports get to make a decision that affects the lives of all Americans. We get fun-sponged right out of New Year's. And welcome to the latest edition of Talking Heads. I'm Bram Weinstein. Yes, I am still in my basement in Connecticut, despite me uh, spilling all of my beads a week ago. <laughs> we'll get to that later here. Mark Sturt is in Washington, D.C. Hello, Mark. Hey, Bram. How you doing? Happy New Year's. I'm on my way to get out of my basement, by the way. I've had a lot of clarity, a lot of, lot of thought about what happened a week ago. And, and it, it ended up being extraordinarily cathartic. And I want to say this as we open. There are so many people that heard that and said such nice things to me um, oh, over great. the past week or so that I really appreciate it. And things are going to change for me. Um, I, I mentioned all the stuff I believe in, all that universe stuff and all that. I've been visualizing a lot of things that I really want to do. So it's been a breakthrough, and I have a really strong feeling that in the very near future, things are going to change for me in terms of my career because I have a better sense of what I want to do and what I don't want to do anymore. Did you want to talk about the idea that I floated to you? Because I've been looking for a personal masseuse for a long time, and I think that this is a really kind of a tailor-made thing for you. Yeah, I don't want to do that. I <laughs> never visualized that. Nope. No. Uh, pool boy for rich old lady, that's a possibility. Um, you are not a rich old lady. No, I'm not. I'm working on it, though, every day. I'm working on <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, try, try to get there. That's what I see, me being a sugar mama. <laughs> <laughs> you know, have you seen the show Transparent? Have you seen that? I haven't. That's uh, Jeffrey Tambor, right? Yes. Everybody it's, says it's brilliant. It's on what, Amazon or something like that? Uh, yes, it's on Amazon. If you have like a Prime membership, you I can do. see it for free. Otherwise, I'm not sure if you can see it for free. I don't know how that works. But uh, but we watched the first season of it, and it's fantastic. Wow. And extraordinarily uncomfortable. But it is really, really, really fantastic. <laughs> That's my favorite kind of television. Yeah, of course. You know, and, you know you've had these thoughts, cross-dressing, <laughs> all of that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I got to give Jeffrey Tambor. I mean, like to have played Hank Kingsley, the the father of the um, the. Why am I blanking on the name of the family in Arrested Development? But the uh, oh, but it, yeah, these he was the father of that. And to the play Bloom. this the character, Bloom, the Bloom family, the Bloom family, yeah, yes. the Bloom family, and to play this character as well, Mora, he becomes Mora in Transparent. What a career <laughs> this guy has had. Yeah. I give him all the credit in the world. What an incredible career. Because Hank Kingsley, I think, is one of the most underrated comedy characters of all time for the Larry Sanders show. And then to is. go and play a cross-dresser and do it so effectively as he does later in his career. What an amazing actor he is. Yeah, let's talk about range. That's, that is unbelievable. Uh, the, uh, the people who are, are not apparently flexible or incapable uh, of understanding what Americans want are the people who run the college football playoff. Right. Um, this is not a stunner to me that the ratings were not bad, awful for the college football playoff, which is football. I don't know if you've gotten the memo yet, but football in this country is a ratings certainty, both collegiate and NFL, okay? The highest rated program of any given year, except for maybe election night next year, will be Super Bowl 50. Nothing will top that next year. Americans love football. The ratings for the playoffs games will be amazing. A Monday night football game that includes also ran teams will outrate World Series games. That is fact, and it has happened on numerous occasions over the past few years. And 
listen, any major collegiate football game will always do better than whatever else it is up against and dwarf whatever else it is up against. Americans love football. What the college football people did when they structured this new format and got ESPN to sign a deal was they decided that they were going to get brazen with their product. And they were going to determine that they were going to, not unlike what the NFL did with Thanksgiving or what the NBA has done with Christmas, they are going to make New Year's Eve the college football day. They're going to turn what is a national holiday into their day. And so for the first time, the college football playoff, which included the four teams that were selected by the committee, played one another on New Year's Eve. And the ratings the next day that came out were astoundingly bad, like 40% across the board off from the first year of the playoff, which was the year before, and those games were not played on New Year's Eve. And you would think that their immediate reaction would be, we made a mistake here. We should not have done this. We should have probably put it at a different date. We were incapable of putting it on January 1st, which is a traditional college football day because of existing contracts for bowl games that were in time slots we would have used for it. So, Everyone gets that. We couldn't have done it. But January 2nd was a Sunday. They could have put the games on. And I guess they didn't want to do it up against the NFL, right? Wait a minute. No, wait a minute. January 1st was right. January 1st was, was a Friday. They could have put these games on a Saturday not up against the NFL and not up against their own bowl games and not up against that winter classic. And they chose, they chose not to do that because they brazenly believed that they are going to change American lifestyle to turn new year's Eve into an event where we watch college football, the biggest college football of the year, the semifinals of their sport. And you know what? They are so fucking wrong. It is amazing. You know, Major League Baseball has their All-Star game in July. They would never put it on July 4th with first pitch at 8 o'clock because everybody who lives in this country is going to watch fireworks that night somewhere. Just like everybody in this country is going out on New Year's Eve. And if they are not going out They are not huddled around a TV together. That is not what people do on that holiday. And for them to think that they could basically steal that holiday from Americans was so short-sighted and so remarkably stupid that I cannot believe that the day after they didn't come out and say we made a mistake. Instead, they have pushed all their chips in and said, we're convinced that this is going to work in the years that follow because seven Of the next nine years that they have this contract with ESPN, it is detailed by their choice to put these games on New Year's Eve, even though ESPN apparently, and they did this politically, have tried to come out and say, you were making a huge mistake. We tried to stop you from doing it, but to get the deal, we had to agree to the dates, and so we took the deal, and it's a mistake for Everybody. Yeah, I mean, it's different than it is on Christmas Day with the NBA or Thanksgiving with the, with the games there because you're home for the most part, you know? You're home and, you know, there's no, everything's closed. So that's like, you know, a captive audience. You know, you're, you've already done your stuff, you know, and, and there's so much built around that, like, oh, we'll eat and we'll watch the game. But like you said, July 4th, New Year's Eve, those are we're going out. 
We're going out to a party. We're going out to watch the fireworks. We're doing something that entails going out. And if we are in, we're probably not sitting around. We're having a party. We're not sitting around watching the game because it's a end-of-year party. Unless you go to one of those schools or a fan of one of those teams that's playing, we might build your night around it. But you're not going to get the casual people that say, oh, yeah, screw it. Let's watch the game. It's on. It's like, no, no, no. We've already got our plan. So the arrogance that is involved in that decision and the tone deafness when you see the ratings after this, uh, it's just it's just astonishing to me that they didn't say, wow, we, we really need to rethink our strategy on this. Their spokesman is this guy, Bill Hancock, who for years had to try to spin the BCS as equitable. And, it, you know, and everyone on Earth was like, this is the most ridiculous thing ever. It always eliminated teams that should never have been eliminated. It was impossible get, to get the top two teams right almost in, on any given year. And he always had to try to spin this. This guy came out because he's now the spokesman for this college football playoff thing. And he came out and he said the reason why the ratings were so low were because the games ended up being blowouts. Buddy, nobody knows that going in. Nobody knows that the games are going to suck going in. And the ratings do not reflect the fact that the games suck. The ratings reflect that people didn't tune in. And they didn't tune in because they basically said, you're making us make a choice here. And you know what? We're Americans first. And you know what Americans do on New Year's Eve? They go out. Yeah. They don't sit at home and watch television. And for them to not understand this suggests that there is a bunch of white dudes sitting in a room who have no social life whatsoever and don't understand that everyone else doesn't live the way they do. Get out of your stupid little hole where you are, you greedy people, and wake up and smell the coffee. Like, you are not going to own that holiday because nobody owns that holiday. The only thing anybody is certain to be watching on New Year's Eve is the ball drop. That's it. It's the only thing anyone is going to watch. That is it. Nobody puts on any kind of major special they put any money into on New Year's Eve because nobody's going to watch it. Yeah. No, nobody's there's no appointment TV other than the ball drop, as you said. And, you know, it, it reminds me in a way and I don't want to put a can of worms here, but it reminds me in a way of the arrogance of the NFL with Super Bowl Sunday. And they're like, well, no, we have to have it on Sunday. It's like, do you know what a disservice that does to everybody in America that watches that game and stays up, especially on the East Coast, stays up late to watch that game? I mean, how awful would it be to say, I don't know, put the game on Saturday, you've already got two weeks of buildup. Uh, but you know what? They've done better with that because now they kick it off. They kick it off at six thirty. The game is over by ten o'clock. So they've done. I think they've done right by that. On people on the East Coast, it doesn't end up going really, really late. So I appreciate that that happens. I would still like to see you know a shift to a day where it's like you know what. Because, you know, in, in terms of what we do, trying to book guests for Monday after the Super right. Bowl is impossible because everybody's traveling that day. And I know that's an inside baseball kind of thing, but it's this whole idea of like, and listen, they're going to get a big number whenever they put that on, okay? So to me, Saturday, Sunday doesn't matter. It just it just struck a chord with me, as you said. These guys are in a room, tone deaf, and being like, well, they will do whatever we bid them to do, so that well, makes it right. And they're right about that part. They're right about yeah, that. They, are, they basically forced ESPN. ESPN, whose job is to tell you, don't put it on this day at this time, because, listen, we've studied this forever. We know what ratings are. We know what viewing trends are. You're picking the wrong time. You're picking the wrong day to maximize this. And they said, no, we know better than you about this a bunch of college presidents said that we know better than you what viewer habits are and we're gonna own new year's eve you guys are 
idiots. Yeah. I mean, you guys are freaking idiots to actually sit there and tell the network that you're going to own a holiday that no one can possibly own because it is the day everybody goes out. Ridiculous. Especially when Saturday was open. You know, right. I, it's like, it's like, yeah, let's just do that. Guys, all right, that's a good plan. Then everybody, everybody is going to watch those games because that's sort of built into the weekend. And it, I don't know, it, it, it's it's a tone deafness. And, and, you know, you're sitting in your ivory tower, these college presidents being like, no, this is, of course, this is a great idea. Well, it's not. Yeah, it's great for everybody who lives in Clemson, South Carolina. Well, yeah. Because now they have something fun to do on New Year's <laughs> Eve. You know, and I'm sure there's probably plenty of them going with their girlfriend. And their girlfriends are going, are oh, you yeah. serious? Oh. We're not going out. And he's like, our game is on tonight. And they're like, thanks a lot, college football. This was a huge disservice to casual fans. It really was. Yeah. Because you've made them made a choice here that they shouldn't have to make. You know, like, do I ruin New Year's to watch these games when I don't really have a rooting interest for any of these particular teams? Like, you know, Clemson was in it. Oklahoma was in it. Michigan State, which is, I guess, Detroit was in it. And Alabama was in it. These are actually extraordinary small markets. Yeah. Like, it wasn't like somehow one of the L.A. teams got into this, you know, or a team from Miami got into this. No, they actually, and that's going to be the rule here because an SEC team is going to get in every single year. A Big 12 team, if it's not Texas, which it hasn't been in years, is going to get in here. You know, a Big 10 team is going to get in, and they have plenty of big markets, but those big market teams typically aren't the ones that are that competitive. So they're not even going to end up with big market teams. You're asking people who have no rooting interest in these major markets. People in Seattle aren't watching this. People in L.A. aren't watching this. It was ridiculous. It was ridiculous on its face to do it. And for them to not sit back and just say, we made a mistake here. Now, I'm assuming ESPN, they, they can't get out of the contract. They don't want to get out of the contract. No, you don't want to. The contract. Someone else is going to buy the contract. But, like, they have to be able to sit here and have a conversation and say, let us do our job here and let us help you win here because you can't win this way. Yeah. Well, let me ask you a question, Bram. What holiday does the college basketball championship fall on? <laughs> well, that's right. It doesn't because that's it doesn't right. need to. It, the no. event should speak for itself. This idea of like tailoring up everything with the hockey, with New Year's Day and, you know, all these different things, the NBA on Christmas, as we talked about and football and Thanksgiving. That's great when they, they sort of coincide. But to sort of like, you know, gerrymander the calendar and be like, ah, let's just squeeze. Let's make that our day. You don't need to. You really don't need to. These games should be good enough, and if you put them on the right night when people have the ability to view it, it's going to be a home run. Well, what's amazing is what you just said there, too. Hockey hockey has become a traditional event that occurs on New Year's Day. College football used to own that across the board. Yeah. Now, their bowl games are going to do better than the Winter Classic, but the highest-rated hockey game of the year is annually the Winter Classic until the Stanley Cup Finals come around. And somehow the college football people didn't look at this and go, we can bury that thing if we put our playoffs on that day. We can absolutely bury it. If we put that up against the hot, the Winter Classic, nobody's watching the Winter Classic anymore. Nobody. That's over. Nobody's watching it. Everybody's home on New Year's Day. Nobody's home on New Year's Eve. Wake up, idiots. Wake up. Like, what is wrong with you people? Like, how would you think you're going to win that holiday? You're out of your minds. Yeah. Good, good job.
college people. Yeah, thanks a lot, jerks. You know, like, <laughs> you, you, what an imposition. You made me check my phone all night and made my wife mad at me. Idiots. Thanks a lot. And then the games were blowouts, and I was like, thank God I didn't miss anything. Yeah. You know, thank God. Which leads me to this. There's a couple other points about college football I want to talk about. Um, you have a committee for a reason. That's to pick the best four teams. They didn't this year. Okay, anyone who watched the Rose Bowl saw that Stanford, I don't care that they had two losses, should have been one of those four teams. I'm yes. sorry. Oklahoma had one loss. Their one loss was to a really bad Texas team. And this is what's impossible about this whole thing. You can't compare these teams because these teams didn't basically didn't play each other or have a schedule that is even remotely comparable whatsoever so you have to make a judgment call Stanford's better than them and I don't care that they had two losses but because they had two losses that committee decided they had to be ineligible to get in when it is clear as day that they should have been one of those four teams and Ohio State should have been too Ohio State was one of the four best teams this is impossible to make that argument for them because they lost to one of the four teams that was in so the uh, the argument would be that they probably should have replaced Michigan State but because the Big 12 didn't get a team in the year before I guarantee you Oklahoma got in because they felt bad about that and Ohio State could have easily been that fourth team if it wasn't going to be Stanford over Oklahoma but they weren't going to put two Big Ten teams in I'm saying I'm calling up the the committee here you guys are supposed to pick the teams pick the teams this isn't about the polls any longer you're supposed to tell us who the four best teams are and they failed in that regard they failed the four best teams didn't get into the playoff because two of the four best teams who would be included in that, and I think by anybody's standard, didn't end up playing on New Year's Eve. And boy, those would have been, I mean, again, I don't, I don't think it would have impacted the ratings in a huge way, but I would have loved to have seen Stanford, I guess maybe it would have been Stanford and Clemson and, and Alabama versus Ohio State or, or vice yes. versa. Those would have been phenomenal games. Yes. Oh, my God, they would have been great games. The results bear it out, too. I mean, it's easy to go in hindsight that there were a couple teams that shouldn't have been there, but clearly there were a couple teams that shouldn't have been there. So that's easy to say. And Michigan State, it's hard to argue they shouldn't be there. They beat Ohio State on the road. So I, I have a hard time saying that they shouldn't. I think they should. I think Oklahoma got exposed, and I think there are two teams that should have been there ahead of them, Stanford or Ohio State. So they obviously couldn't take both. Right. So someone would have been on the out. But clearly Oklahoma shouldn't have been there. It was a mistake. So what's the solution is because there's always been this argument about the rankings and the number one. It was BCS. It was the the polls from way back in the day. And now you knew this was going to happen. It's like, okay, well, these are the four teams we're going to present as the top four teams in the country is the answer. These guys need to get their shit together and figure it out better because, you know, that's not going to happen. Or is it? All right, let's open up the playoff field to make it six slash eight or whatever it ends up being. Well, if they make it eight, they make it eight. I think that satisfies a lot of people because there are a couple. Because you know, once you get past eight, I think you're you're going to be upset. You know, you're going to be upset even at eight. You're going to say who number nine was and nine should have got in. But I think at eight, you can sit there and reasonably say there's nobody that was an obvious like snub. You know, that really should be in because the top eight in college football sounds to me. I used to think sixteen felt right, but I think eight actually feels right. Now, in this particular case, I saw no difference with the way it was selected before by the polls and the computers. I think that these people got in that room and got scared politically not to take a Big 12 team. And that's why they took Oklahoma over two teams that I think by the eye test tell you that they should have been the choice over them, but they weren't going to be selected. One, because Stanford had two losses, which I don't think is comparable to a one-loss team because they don't play an equitable schedule. So how do you make that comparison in the first place? Or Ohio State, who is... (laughs) I like they got hindered by the fact 
that like everyone's expectations of them was they were going to beat everybody by 45 points. And when they didn't do that this year, people said, well, they're just not that good. That's not true. Like, that's not true. So like they got hindered by their own expectations. The committee did a disservice. They turned a blind eye to two better choices, which is what they're not supposed to do. So they didn't get the right four teams in. And it, it, it ended up in the results. You know, the results speak for themselves. There were two blowouts. Why? Because there were two teams. One of them really shouldn't have been there. And the other one, you could argue, shouldn't have been there. But it's harder to make that case because they beat one of the teams I'm saying that should have been in. Yeah, it would have been, it would have been so much better to see Stanford, Stanford in there. I mean, just to see McCaffrey, you know, playing potentially in the national championship game. I mean, I just... They, yes. they, no, they fumbled. That, that's just a they huge... They fumbled. It, the record can't be the end-all, be-all like it used to be. It doesn't eliminate you anymore. That's why you have a committee who uses the eye test and says, you know what, I know they lost a couple of games. They are clearly better than this team. I'm sorry, we have to take them. And I don't think, and I think if they did that, at least it's an honest assessment. Instead of doing what they did, which was, well, they lost two games and this one lost one, so we just can't take them. Bullshit. Why can't you? You're the committee. That's what you're supposed to do. Like, you know, it's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to pick the best four teams. Forget the whole thing. Stop putting these criteria like it used to be. Well, they eliminated themselves. No, they did it. Not if there are a bunch of humans sitting in the room that are supposed to say these are the best four teams. The best four teams didn't get in. So that was a mistake. And, and lastly, on college football, why does everyone think Iowans are stupid? You know, enough already with this. Like, you know, the Stanford band really, really, <laughs> they're funny. But if you haven't seen what the Stanford band did at Oof. halftime of the Rose Bowl, they came out and did a routine that involved cow tipping and played FarmersOnly.com, okay, which is the commercials for a dating site for farmers. For okay? Farmers Only. It was so rude. I mean, it was just it really so was. impossibly rude what they did. I mean, it's funny because I like rude, but, it, it, you know, to actually coordinate something that is going to be <laughs> highly offensive to one of the teams, it's just really, really brazenly amazing to do that, that they know going in that they're basically going to get panned nationally for doing something like that. But that's, that's unbelievable. Especially it, on the stage of the Rose Bowl. I mean, yes. it's, I mean, it's like it's not some backwater game where, like, maybe we'll see some highlights on ESPN2 or something like that. This is the freaking Rose Bowl. And, uh, and this is not something they came up with just before the game. This is something they planned out for weeks and weeks, if not months. It's like, oh, my God. Yes, they've been planning this for weeks. They're like, what are we going to do? I mean, what were the what were the ideas that were tossed out? That's what I want to know. <laughs> like, if they settled on cow tipping at FarmersOnly.com, there had to have been an ideas meeting where things were tossed oh, that yeah. they weren't going to do to make fun of Iowa. It yeah. had to be. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, what, having sex with the cows? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. Right. I don't yeah. know. I don't yeah. even want to know where they went. Who no. knows where they went? But the best thing, as you say, that, you know, why do people think Iowans are dumb? Because they're not. Uh, the the pandering that Carly Fiorina did Ugh. with and for those of you that didn't see this, as she went to Stanford, Stanford's playing Iowa in the Rose Bowl. Before the game, she goes, oh, "I love my alma mater, but I'm rooting for a Hawkeyes win." You transparent yeah, she, idiot! She, uh, she tweeted that. Yes, she tweeted that, and then people are like, "Wow, 
Yeah. You know, like, so do you really, vote? really, really think people in Iowa don't understand what pandering is? Like, do you really, really, oh. really think they're that dumb? It was so awful and so transparent. And, and really, is there somebody who's going to be at the caucuses whenever they are next month or something like that and be like, you know what, I really didn't like Carly Fiorina, but she did root for Iowa in that Rose Bowl. So you know what? Yeah, she gets my vote. I mean, nobody's nobody's doing that. Nobody's no. that dumb. And, and no. who? And she didn't come up with this idea herself. I guarantee you there was a team of these little millennial shits that were like, hey, hey, let's tweet this out. We'll get it. We'll get it good with the Iowans. Shut up. Go back to she, your skinny jeans and shut up and stop advising people about this crap. I mean, clearly, she got housed for this. You know, because oh, people God, are like, yeah. you know, like, what's wrong with rooting for your alma mater? Like, what, what's wrong with that? And then, like, this idea that Iowans are just so dumb that they wouldn't figure out how transparent that is. Like, that's a shame because now she, she's basically telling the people who are voting in the first thing that matters in the presidential race, the Iowa caucuses. I think you're so dumb that if I say I root for your football team, you will vote for me. Yeah, and that might work for me. You know, if she, yeah, if she said, you know. if she said I'm, I'm, I'm actually rooting for the Red Sox, then I might actually catch. No, nobody does that. This is a presidential, you know, well, it's not presidential at this point, but it's the primary process. And I don't know, it was, it was despicable. And her attempt to sort of walk it back and, no, it was tongue-in-cheek. And no, yeah, she said but, it was tongue-in-cheek. No, no, it wasn't. No, you it wasn't, it, actually. You, you knew exactly what you were doing. You made a calculated decision, and it completely blew up in your face. And it was a terrible, terrible decision. Right. It's because you think people are dumb. That's why you would you would write a tweet like that. Yeah. I'm rooting for Iowa today. <laughs> really? Are you? Wow. Have you ever even been to Iowa, asshole? Yeah. <laughs> you don't even know what it is. You probably couldn't find it on a map if you had to. You don't even know what it is. Like, you, you've never lived there. You've never set foot in that state. Or maybe you have now because you're trying to get votes at the caucus. Like, give me a break. Yeah, give me a break. And that's why we love Trump, because Trump would say something to the effect of, I'm not rooting for the Hawkeyes. I'm rooting for whoever wins because I'm a winner. Donald Trump is a winner. That's what I do. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be great. Yeah, he doesn't care. He doesn't care. He doesn't give a shit. So this woman, like, yeah. based on that, I wouldn't vote for her. No, well, you know, let me just tell you this. She's done. Okay? Oh, yeah. She's done. Like, we will not. I mean, God bless you. She's had a hell of a lot more success in her career than I ever will have. But in this presidential election, she's done. So and I'll say this for Trump. I mean, like, I don't like his honesty, but at least he's honest. You can't you cannot oh. say that about him. He is honest. This woman clearly is not. Yes. You know, and like his honesty is troublesome <laughs> to me. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> On a different level, his honesty is troublesome to me. And I don't bit. want him to be the president either. Yeah, no. no, we don't <laughs> but, want him like to be- at least he's honest. You can't you cannot take that away from him. No, we don't want him to be president. We just are enjoying the hell out of this campaign. How did your fantasy team do this year? Well, I lost to the semifinals. Again. Scored the most points in my league. Again. So I'm just, I'm the Bengals. I'm the Bengals of the playoffs. I blow it. Every single year my team goes in and I go Andy Dalton on everybody. It's terrible. So what am I going to do for the playoffs? Well... You can continue playing one-week fantasy football on FanDuel.com. And when you use our code TALKING, your first tournament is risk-free. That's any contest offered on FanDuel at up to 10 bucks. If you win, you keep the money. If you lose, they will refund your account. FanDuel is the best place to play one-week fantasy football. Building a team is easy, fun. You can pick your players, stay under that cap. Entry fees are low, starting at, at a buck. You can also play basketball, hockey on FanDuel. That means you can play fantasy sports for cash almost any night of the week. Think you know fantasy football? Come prove it on FanDuel.com to get started. 
Go to FanDuel.com, click on the microphone in the upper right-hand corner, use the code TALKING, and sign up now. Here's the offer. If you enter a league and you do not win, FanDuel will refund your money. That's any contest you want, up to 10 bucks. You can sign up on FanDuel.com using my code TALKING, then make a deposit, choose your league. If you don't win, you'll get that money right back in your FanDuel account. The only way to get this no-lose offer is to go to FanDuel.com, click the microphone, and use my code TALKING. FanDuel.com, or you can finally pay to be a fan. That's F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com. Try it out today. And welcome back to Talking Heads. I'm Bram Weinstein in my basement in Connecticut. Mark Stern is in Washington, D.C. All right, let's go through the final week of the um, NFL season as we head into the playoffs here. And, well, I taped all the games. Um, I'm watching them tonight, so don't tell me what happened. Are you? Oh, yeah, you don't want to know what happened? <laughs> well, I, you know, here's what's going to come as no surprise to you. The Jets blew it, okay? <laughs> Jets completely blew it. All they had to do was win in Buffalo. They would get into the playoffs. They did not do that. Yeah. Uh, and then Pittsburgh played Cleveland, who, man, what a mess that – that situation has become. I mean, <laughs> that is a that is a dumpster fire in oh, Cleveland. Boy. That's, that's a dumpster fire of epic proportions. Yes. I mean, like the quarterback Johnny Manziel didn't even show up oh. for the game. I mean, I, I know, you know, listen, he's got enough bad publicity already, but to not show up to work for your NFL team that you're a first round pick of, buddy, you know, wake up and smell the coffee. Yeah, I mean, you're gonna be getting a new career anyway. The Jets blew it. Um, you know, I, the funniest thing I saw written about it was someone said Rex Ryan has perfected keeping the Jets out of the playoffs. <laughs> that was a funny way to put That's it. That's a good line. Um, I, you, know, I, you know, if I told you at the beginning of the year that the Bills would have a better record than the Jets, you would have believed me, right? Yeah, right? I, yeah, I felt good. Okay. Yeah, I, I felt good about the Bills coming in the season. Okay, yeah. so then why is anyone surprised they lost at Buffalo in the final week of the season? The only reason why they're surprised is because the Bills had nothing to play for and the Jets had everything to play for. But I would submit to you that the Bills are probably a better team, top to bottom, and they won a game. You know that shouldn't surprise anybody that they won. I mean, that, that's that's what I think. I just I, I don't know why anyone. You know, I guess saying they blew it or they choked or whatever is easy thing to say because they did have to win that game, but. I don't kind of look at it that way because I think the Bills are top to bottom a better team, and the better team won. That's all. Yeah, I just thought in the circumstances, it's you 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 win that game, you're going on. You've beaten the Patriots, and no one thought you would beat the Patriots, and the Steelers lost and get, open up that door for you. It just seemed everything was breaking their way, and then they reverted back to the norm, and they became the Jets again. Yeah, uh, yeah so it's a shame. I, I thought they, they over-exceeded my expectations, or really anybody's expectations yeah, um, yeah. for them. And, you know, it, it, you always hate to see things end that way, but, boy, that's the Jets for you. I mean, that's that's what happens with them. That's who they are. Um, the other team in New York should have had a different result as well. They blew so many games this year that they ultimately oh. did not end up winning what ended up being an extremely weak division. And the Redskins at 9-7 and seven get in, and Tom Coughlin is what we think out um, in New York. There's been all these reports. hasn't happened yet as the time we're taping this, but there's all these reports that he's going to step down um, this week as the head coach of the Giants. He's had a long run there. He's won two Super Bowls. Probably get his name in their ring of honor. Might be, you know, other things are probably coming his way. So as Tom Coughlin probably says goodbye here in, in one way, shape, or form with the Giants, because it sounds like that's the way it's going. What, what do you think he's going to be remembered for? Well, I think he's going to be remembered for, for first of all, winning the two Super Bowls, but ending the Patriots' perfect season. You know, I think I think he's is. I don't know if he'll be on the same level as Parcells because Parcells was a lot more of a character. He was beloved. Yeah, and I don't think Coughlin. Right? Was, I don't think Coughlin was ever no, beloved. No, and, it never went that direction. No, and with Coughlin, it seemed like every year they would have a crappy start, and everyone would be like, "All right, well, this is the year they're going to fire him. He's done after." This. And then they would turn it around and be like, "All right, he's just saved his job." And you know, they win. They win two Super Bowls. I mean, that's that's unbelievably great. But I don't think he ever had the sort of the groundswell support 
that a Parcells no. did. So I think he'll they'll appreciate him, but I don't think they'll look back and love him the way that I know that all Giants look back on the 80s and, and, and Parcells and all those wins and be like, those were the greatest guys ever. We love those teams. You know, he's an interesting character study, you know, because of the four teams in the NFC East, the, the Eagles fans are the most irrational in general and angry, typically yes. pretty angry about yes. everything if things don't work out for them. The Cowboys fans are, they are um, bandwagony when you get outside of Dallas. Okay, when you're in Dallas, there's true, you know, fans there. They're, they're an easy team for, you know, America's team to be kind of bandwagony about. Sure. So they kind of get the perception that that's kind of how they are. But the people in Dallas are different. They're, they're very devoted and, and into them. But they're a little delusional about the grandeur of the team, which has been eroded for a long period of time. So they're delusional in that way. Redskins fans have lost their minds. They don't know what to think anymore about anything because they were, I, I would describe it as being abused by their organization for about 15 years running now with all the changes that occurred to what used to be an extremely stable franchise. And they have never been able to let go of this past that they're this grand franchise. They don't really understand. Every year they think they're going to the Super Bowl when the team shows no signs of having any ability to do that. And yet they somehow try to manufacture ways of understanding why they're not what they were in the 1980s. So they're delusional in that way. The Giants fans to me have always been the most measured, smart, and calm fans of these four fan bases. And yet they've never really seemed to embrace a coach that has given them very consistent results. There's a very competitive team, despite the fact that the that the that the player personnel has altered significantly through his time period there. They were really a really good defensive team when they won those Super Bowls. Really good defensive linemen, really good linebackers. That's what really kind of bolstered their team. And over the last few years, as all of those people left, OCU Minora and Justin Tuck and Antonio Pierce and all those players that they were kind of known for on that side of the ball, they've become an offensive team. They've become an Eli Manning team. They've become an Odell Beckham team. And they've shifted. And I know the results haven't been the same, but as through this shift, they've remained highly competitive. And as you know, really this year, they should have won more games than they did. They just blew a bunch of games as the season progressed. They should have had a better record than they had. And Coughlin has been a very tough-minded person. And for some reason, despite the fact that he has won a lot and they won two Super Bowls, the people in New York never seem to kind of embrace him the way that they've always kind of calmly measured embrace their other great characters throughout their organization. I've never really understood why. I'm not, I really just don't kind of get why they never really loved this coach. I mean, he's not, you know, the most huggable person, and he's got this kind of army demeanor to him. And, you know, there was a, but every year his job was seemed to be in jeopardy, despite the fact that they were highly competitive and won two Super Bowls. I mean, they should put a statue up for that guy, you know, instead of saying like, oh, he's done, he's done. And every year was this recurring theme of, oh, he's done, he's done. I never really understood it. Yeah, I mean, I mean think with the people in Washington, D.C. or Dallas, would do with a coach that won them two Super Bowls. I mean, he would be revered as a god. You know, it, it's you would think, yeah, like you would think. But but you know, I I don't know whether there's so much winning that's gone on in New York, and they're like, eh, it's just not our guy. But I, I have a bunch of friends who are Giants fans, as I'm sure you 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 do as well. And when I t- I talk to them, I says, so "What's going to happen with Coughlin?" And to a person, they have all said the same thing. Yeah, it's time for him to go. It's time for him to go. It's like. All right, <laughs> you know, I guess, you know, what do you think's coming through that door? 
You know, is it going to be that hot college coach that is going to turn your franchise around? Because look down at Philly. How did that work out for those guys? So This guy's a Hall of Fame coach. Yeah, he is. I think so. He's a Hall of Fame coach. He won two Super Bowls in New York, and he turned Jacksonville into a Super Bowl contender yeah. in like a second yeah. when they were a, when they were a, 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 a uh, expansion franchise. And they have never been close to being even remotely competitive since he left. No, he, I mean, like, so I don't get it. Like... Maybe he's not the most likable guy. I kind of understand that. But I, if winning is the bottom line, like Belichick is unlikable, as highly unlikable as you can possibly be. And people in New England, of course, revere him. Yeah. Because he has produced the results. And I'm amazed here. This guy beat Belichick twice in the Super Bowl, and New Yorkers don't treat him like Joe Torre. They don't. They treat him like... And they won despite of him. Right. And I, I don't really don't understand that theory, which is strange for the New York Giants fan base. They're not the Jets fan base. They're different. They are typically very measured, and I find them to be really intelligent about football. And I was stunned. I've been stunned by this for a long time, that they've never seen the value in this coach, that for some reason he's never lived up to whatever expectation they wanted of him. There is, you talk about his demeanor and his appearance, and I've thought this for a long time. Every time I see him on the sideline, I feel like he's about to rip his headset off and start yelling at kids to get off his lawn. I mean, he just yes. has that, like, turn that music down, at rock and roll crap. I don't want to hear it. Like, he just looks angry. And I'm sure he's Get not- off the shed. Yeah, get off the damn shed. <laughs> get off the damn shed. <laughs> I will kill you if you don't get off the shed. Brandon, stay on the damn bag. Just stay on the damn bag. Yeah. You know, but he's got that look about it. But then, you know, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure if you have a one-on-one with him, he's a delightful human being. But he's got everyone says he's great. Right? He's everyone. Yeah, says he's it. just got this sort of like it looks like his cheeks are red and he's angry all the time. But that shouldn't be the reason that the Giants fans don't completely embrace him. Because I'm telling you, Giants fan, in you know, if whoever the next guy is, and as you rebuild the franchise and whatever, and things are, are getting turned around. You're going to think, man, that guy that we used to have, he won two Super Bowls. What's this jackass done? Yeah. And you know what's amazing here is let's say he does step down, um, and maybe by the time you listen to this that that happens, I don't think you're going to hear, because of his age, I don't think you're going to hear anybody saying, we got to go hire this guy, um, despite his run of success. And I don't know if he'd want to go to a different team and start over again, but you're not going to hear that. Chip Kelly leaves Philadelphia, Mm. I mean, in shambles, okay? And... It's like, if you read the news, it's like teams are lining up to get him. I mean, he destroyed that roster. Absolutely destroyed it. And, you know, the more you hear about his relationship with the players, they didn't like it. His ex-great players, Deshaun Jackson, LaShawn McCoy, are like probably cheering, going, see, I told you so. And there's current players there, like DeMarco Murray and others, who basically said, we couldn't have a relationship with this guy. He's a mutant. And, like, you know, he's asking crazy things of us and doesn't seem to care about us. And yet there's teams lining up to put a phone call in to get him to come there. <laughs> you know, I think our, our expectations of what the head coach should and can be is way off if Tom Coughlin isn't revered and a guy like Chip Kelly is. Yeah, I you know, I understand he did a lot of great things out west and, and you know, revolutionized the offense out there and, and, and you know, had a lot of innovative ideas. But coaching in college and coaching in the pros are two vastly different things. And success at one level does not guarantee success at the next level. No, it doesn't. And and it's disappointing to me. You know, I, I guess people are like, oh, no, we can make it work with him. And I, I, I personally believe no matter where Chip Kelly goes, 
He's going to tear down a franchise and alienate players and leave the place worse than when he arrived. I, I get that feeling, too. I think it's easy in college to do to be that way because the players are gone in a couple of years. Yeah, but and you're used here, to turnover. You, you, cannot, you can't replace talent that easily. I think he learned his lesson. And, like, I was laughing. I, I saw this. Chip Kelly has reached out to the 49ers. He wants their coaching job. And probably because Colin Kaepernick fits his system really, really well. And for Colin Kaepernick, that might save his career. He's the exact type of running, passing quarterback that might work in a system like that. So I, I, I could see that he would want this to happen. But I look at the 49ers and I go, you guys blew up Jim Harbaugh right. because you couldn't get along with him because of either the way he coached or whatever personnel decisions he was hoping you would make. So why in the world would you even consider bringing in Chip Kelly? Because it's going to be the exact same relationship. Yeah. You're not going to have any opportunity to work with this guy. It's going to be his way or the highway. And if you're not willing to go his way, then you're going to have the same problem. And look at where the 49ers are. They let Jim Harbaugh go and they were a grease fire after letting him go. Yeah. They really were. I mean, I you know, I understand that there was massive clashes with Harbaugh in the front office, but the net result is you know, the, the the Niners are just despicably bad right now. And and maybe in desperation they go to Chip Kelly because they're like, Well, he's got good ideas and you know, maybe it just wasn't right for them in Philly. But again, like you said, the the Niners front office will be like, Oh crap. Did we just go through this it's, with Harbaugh? Why are we doing this? Right now yeah. we're in it. With, I, thought, I thought we got rid of Harbaugh because we didn't want someone like that. Now yeah. they're going to bring in another crazy person who wants complete control and is basically going to tell the personnel people to go F themselves? Like, like How's that going to work? The only franchise I could see him going to and maybe working out, when I say working out, I mean not destroying the team or leaving it worse than he, when he arrived, is Cleveland. Because Cleveland is so god awful that no Tennessee Tennessee Mariota oh sure okay that's his guy that's his guy Mariota who's coaching I think he in ends Tennessee? Up going to Tennessee because they're bad you know the the roster can only get better and he's got the quarterback he wants so that's where I assume he's going to end up going who's at Tennessee right now nobody I mean they they had an interim coach so they're going to have a new coach okay so maybe it is Tennessee yeah I think that's where it's going to end up all right last thing on football I just have to make this statement because here's something I thought I would never say in August I don't think anybody would ever say in August. The Redskins are going to host a playoff game against the Packers, and clearly they're better than the Packers. That's unbelievable. That's unbelievable that that is absolutely the truth, and it's you can't even debate it. They are, right now, way better than the Green Bay Packers, and they deserve to host a playoff game over the Green Bay Packers. I agree with both of those statements, and I, I also agree with you that I don't think anybody was going to say that in, you know, in August, and if they were, they were wearing a tinfoil hat and no one was listening to them anyways. But I do believe someone on this podcast a few weeks ago said that the Redskins were going to win the NFCs, and I can't remember who that was. Yes, you can. <laughs> I hate when people say that. I can't remember who that was. Oh, it was me. It was well, there's me. only two of us, and I didn't say well, it. Well, I didn't, I didn't know if you didn't want to say it because you didn't want to jinx them or you're too close to it, but just watch no, it. No, I really didn't think they would. I, I thought they would find a way. I thought they would find a way to lose, and I'm stunned they didn't. Kirk Cousins I'm stunned they didn't. is playing out of his mind. He has had one of the best seasons a quarterback has ever had for the Washington Redskins, and they've had some pretty good quarterbacks in their years. Yeah, so I, uh, it's it's amazing to me, and you're right. They are playing great. And I know they beat the crap out of the Cowboys, and the Cowboys had nothing to play for, but they still beat the crap out of them. They couldn't win on the road, and what do they do? They go win on the road. This is not a great division, but they have gotten better and better and better, and they still have flaws. Defensively, they're not 
great. They're good enough, but you know they got they got some issues there. They don't run the ball particularly well. But Kirk Cousins is in a groove, and with him and Jordan Reed, and with a deep threat of Deshaun Jackson and Garcon as this guy that just makes all the tough catches. I don't know. I, I certainly like him against the Packers. And then, oh, I think they're going to beat Green Bay. Yeah, I don't I, think I they're going to they win Arizona too. or Carolina, but I think they're going to beat Green Bay. I, I don't care where they go the following week. I don't think they win either in either one of those places. But I do think they're going to win here. Yeah, uh, they're clearly better than them. I think they're just going to score more points than them. I mean, here, here's this is emblematic. This is amazing. Two weeks ago, this happened in the NFL. A team that missed an extra point um, had three straight possessions start inside their own ten, and at the end of a half accidentally kneeled down to run out of clock when they would have scored at least three and maybe seven more points, still scored 39 yeah. in a game handily and had that number with eight minutes to go in the game. That was the Redskins that did that, not the Packers. That's how prolific their offense is right now. They screwed up in ways that are unimaginable in a game and still scored nearly 40 points on the road. That's something you would say about Aaron Rodgers. Not about Kirk Cousins and the Redskins. That's where the Redskins are. The Packers can barely kick field goals at this point. Yeah. Barely at home against Minnesota. Barely. They can barely figure out a way to score. They were routed by Arizona the week before. The Redskins are way better than them. And they're going to beat them this weekend. And that's amazing that in August, I would have never, ever, ever thought you would say something like that. That that's what it is. But that is what it is. No. And I've been listening to the chat around here. People are people are excited for it. And and I agree with you. I think that... um, I think that the Redskins are better. I think they will beat the Packers. And then, but I'm going to take it a step farther than you, and I will I will drive into Crazy Town and say I don't think they, they would line up to play the Panthers, which is good because I think the Panthers would crush them. But I think they got at least a puncher's chance against the Cardinals. Cardinals, you know, have been had a good season, but and I know they're they're a great team. But at that point, the way that the Redskins' offense is playing, I'll I'll take them in in a lot of scenarios, including that one. Great, we got a bet. <laughs> Okay, I like it. I like it. It is wild card weekend in the NFL. These four games are going to be huge kickoffs to the playoffs. Don't just watch it on TV. SeatGeek is the best way to find your ticket in Houston or Cincinnati, Minnesota, or Washington. And now when you download the app and use the code TALKING, you can get 20 bucks back. Here's how it works. You download the SeatGeek app on your iPhone or Android, then you enter the code TALKING. And when you make your first purchase, SeatGeek sends you 20 bucks via check or PayPal. SeatGeek pulls all the ticket buying and selling options from other ticket sites on one place to save you time. It's like the kayak for tickets. SeatGeek also knows their fair market value of every ticket. They use that information to show you the best deal and help you find underpriced seats. If you have tickets you can't use, SeatGeek will help you quickly sell them to another fan. Hate those sneaky fees at the end. SeatGeek has the lowest fees of any ticket site out there. So to redeem your promo code, get your $20 back. Download the free SeatGeek app today. Enter promo code TALKING in the app. SeatGeek will send you 20 bucks once you've made your first SeatGeek purchase. For the NFL's wildcard weekend, college football's title game, or the best concerts, use the SeatGeek app and our code talking to get you $20 back. The Monday Morning Quarterback Podcast gets you ready for wildcard weekend with football writers Robert Klemko, Andy Benoit, and now Robert Mays, formerly of Grantland. Klemko also delivered two special episodes, a Star Wars special with Chris Conley of the Chiefs and a three-city tour of the NFL teams, which could be moving to L.A., and that's coming up soon. The Monday Morning Quarterback Podcast, find it on iTunes, Stitcher, or Panoply.fm. And welcome back to Talking Heads. I'm Bram Weinstein in my basement in Connecticut. Mark Stern is in Washington, D.C. All right, quick update on 
me. Again, thank you very much uh, for listening last week. Uh, that was uh, a cathartic thing for me to do to just explain where I am in life and in my career. And it, it really helped. Um, you know, and, uh, the, the feedback's been great and all that. But I'm, I've gotten a lot more clarity in what I want to do. And clearly, I kind of know what I want to do. Um, I don't want to share that stuff publicly because I'm still working on it. And, uh, and I don't want to say I'm going to do something and then it, it you know, I, I just don't want to put it out there. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I am, all that you need to know is I'm actively working towards what I really want to do in this business. And hopefully those things will come together sooner rather uh, than later. But I am convinced that they are going to now that I have a lot more clarity and was able to just kind of say goodbye to ESPN and move on uh, with my career because it certainly doesn't end there. It's only going to move forward and move upward. I will say one thing about this podcast, though. Um, for us to make this successful, and we said this a week ago, and we've been saying it all along, we need you to share it uh, with people. We need, we need our numbers to go up. It is my goal that at some point the show that Mark and I are doing are going to get 100,000 people listening to every single episode. We are far away from that right now. But it is a realistic number in my mind because, listen, you can be anywhere in the world and you can listen to this and all you have to do is share it with your friends. And our show is going to get better and better and better. And we are committed to doing it and we want to continue doing it. And we need an immediate help now. So we're asking you to get the word out. But that is I'm going to publicly state that right now. I want our goal to be 100,000 people are listening to this on a weekly basis. And if you start listening to one, if 100,000 of you are listening to this on a weekly basis, we will do this more than once a week. Yes. Yeah, we absolutely will. No. You, you, well, first of all, Bram, I'm glad that um, it, it was great chatting with you about all that stuff last week. And I'm, I'm glad you had a chance in a forum to get a lot of stuff off your chest. Because like you said, sometimes you need closure to wrap something up and move on with the next phase of your life and your career. And, and I know you have a lot of exciting things ahead of you and things that you, know, that you can't necessarily get into right now. But um, you know, I, I know the future is very bright for you. And I'm with you. 100,000. It's funny you mentioned that because in the back of my mind, that's always been sort of like the, like the number I would like to get this thing doing. Yeah, we're not even remotely close to that, but I know we're going to get there. And, um, and we need your help out there, everyone listening. So, yeah, just spread the word. We need you to do it for us. I mean, like, you know, the, the way this works in this world is it's not like radio. Like, it's word of mouth. You have to tell your friends this exists. You have to tell them to tune in and listen to it. It's very easy to do. You just subscribe. And most of your friends actually don't even know the world of podcasting exists to the degree that it does. Help you introduce them to it. Okay? It is... It is a fabulous new world of audio technology. You can get what you want when you want it and listen to it whenever you want to. I mean, we, you know, this is the Netflix and the Hulu of audio. So do it. And we're asking you to, to help us out and do that for us. And we will keep making great shows for you. But we need the numbers to go up. And for us, we want to have a big audience. 100,000 is a nice audience that I feel like should be listening to this show. So let's make it happen. If you tell five of your friends who tell five of their friends, this will happen within a year. So I'm hoping that in at some point in time that we will be able to say we've reached that goal. And we hope that you will be able to do that um, for us. Uh, one final thing just about me and uh, just to wrap up what you just said. And I appreciate what you said. Um, you know, I really think that um, a big part of <clears throat> of my issue and my blockage and my inability to kind of move forward was on some level. And I got to think about this after I listened to the podcast that. I think I was embarrassed by my decision uh, that I feel like maybe I did something wrong, you know, and like somehow I messed up and in being able to say it and get it out, I realized I'm not. Um, I know why I did what I did. I know why I left because I didn't want to be there and because they weren't offering me the roles that I want to do. That's why I left. 
And what's hard about it is saying you don't want to be somewhere that's great because it is great there. But I just didn't want to be there any longer. And they didn't make it conducive for me wanting to stay. So you know what? It's over. And I am now going to follow the things that I want to do. And unfortunately, they're not there, but they just aren't there. So I am going to go on and move forward. And and that's all it is to it. And so I am no longer going to harbor any of that kind of embarrassment or regret for making that type of decision yeah it was unusual but it's over and I'm moving forward and my career is only going to grow and now I know what I want and I'm going to start following those dreams again I think I'd gotten away from that I thought I got there and that was supposed to be the end-all be-all and it just turns out it wasn't for me so I'm refocused and I'm ready to go no it's, I, I couldn't agree with you more it's you know you you have nothing to hang your head about that, and sometimes you get in a situation, and, and on paper it's like, oh yeah, this is this is it. This is this is where I need to be from now to the end of time, and then it, it's not, you know. And and we're nothing happens in a vacuum. We're all growing and evolving, and there's things that we want to do. And 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 if a situation isn't right for you, then we always I always tell people this because you know my career has not always been what I would like it to be, and sometimes you gotta you gotta affect change. And if you're not happy with your situation, the only person who can really affect change is you yourself. And when you see that, it's an incredibly powerful thing. And, yeah, there might be some rocky times accompanied by that. And there might be some people shaking their heads and saying, what the hell are you doing? But you have to stay true to yourself because you know your vision. I'm talking to you personally, Bram, and people out there listening. you got to stay true to yourself. You know, you, you have to stay true to your vision and work to put yourself in a situation where you are firing on all cylinders and you are just so happy and excited about everything that you're involved in. Because if you're not, then you're settling for less than that and – and your life won't be as fulfilling as it should be. Yeah, I'm re-energized by the whole thing, and I'm excited about the Good. future. And, and uh, you know, I'm hoping, um, you know, I'm hoping things clarify themselves sooner rather than later, so that you know there are some financial realities that just need to be addressed right now because yeah, I've let this course. go on too long. I, you know, what I should have done this three, four, five months ago. I should have, you know, put this to rest then. I didn't. And, uh, and, but now I have, and so we're going to just start moving forward. Um, and if it doesn't work out, then we can, um, we can, um, just go to a tailgate together and, and do the things that the Bills fans did that you sent me, um, a link of, um, some Bills fans that I, I, the only way to describe this really is there's a video that Mark sent me. I guess it was linked to the Washington post. I'm sure you can see it other places too, where there's these fans at a Bills tailgate for the Jets game. And there's a guy sitting somewhere and he's got what appears to be cardboard on fire. And then another fan jumps into the cardboard and then catches himself on fire. And then yeah, it's like initially, on a table. Right? Yeah, it's like on a table and like the table's on fire. Yes. And there's a group of people around it. And this one dude, you know, he's a Bills fan. He's got a hat on and he just bursts through the crowd. And he dives on the table, like completely obliterates the table. And then he catches on fire. Then he comes out of the ring and he's still on fire and he jumps back onto the fire on the ground. Yes. People are now pouring beers on him. He's still on fire. They back him up against like an RV or something like that and they're like patting him down. Yeah. And he's sitting there like with a big shit eating grin in his face like, hey, that's how you do it, Bills fans. You moron. Well, I think my favorite part is watch this again. After the first time he jumps on the fire table and catches mm-hmm. himself on fire as he gets up, people start kicking him. Okay. Yeah. Like, there's no like immediate attempt to help him. They kick him. They're like kicking, like you know, like not like meanly kicking, but that whole like what an idiot kicking him, you know, like right. kicking him in the butt. And then like then he jumps and does it again, and then everyone realizes. And then they're pouring alcohol on him, which I listen. I'm not a fire safety expert, 
but that doesn't sound right. I don't I don't remember learning like, oh, if someone's on fire, dump Milwaukee's best on him. I don't, I don't remember that being the lesson that was taught to me when I was a child. Well, I was a volunteer fireman for a number of years in the Pacific Northwest, and that was the preferred. We actually didn't use water. We used old, old Milwaukee. That was actually the best. Yeah, that's what you did? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's crank up that keg. We got a five-alarm fire. I remember watching Revenge of the Nerds, and uh, Ogre caught the house on fire because he was blown. Blowing, um, he was blowing grain alcohol into a lighter onto the curtain. Yes, yes, that was the Alpha Tau Omega house burned down. Yes, that was the start of the trouble for all the nerds. Um, so like, we're lucky this guy's not dead. What? I mean, they were like dumping beer. Well, I think on him. beer. I, mean, like, I think beer's okay. I think grain alcohol or like vodka. You don't want to pour those on open flames. But I think beer. Okay. Well, hey. You live and you learn. Right. Now you right. know. If someone's on fire, dumping beer on them is okay, sure. but don't dump bourbon. That's a bad it idea. It was just so great. The thing that was going through my mind, I mean, other than the fact that it's like this guy's a total moron, and we've all been to tailgates. We know that there's just idiotic crap happening all over the place, but I just think of this guy is like an accountant. You know, for some like some stupid company, and it's like, hey Bob, how was your weekend? It's all right, and then some other guy's gonna be like, no, hey, you didn't see Bob set himself on fire at the game, really, Bob? Well, why don't you come in my office? Let's talk about that. I mean. It's it's like the people in the in the black hole of the Raiders stadium. You know, they're dressing up. You know, like Darth Vader, and it's like it's it's people just get so insane at these games. It's like. The separation from their real lives and what goes on at these games and the tailgates is just completely insane to me. The game was at 1 o'clock. I oh, mean, yeah, like, so he'd been drinking since, like, you know, four days before well, that. I mean, listen, they're notorious up there at Orchard Park, but, I mean, like, this is... I don't know how, how do you get that drunk that you jump into something that's on fire twice. Okay, all right, you say that. <laughs> at noon. All right, you say that, and I agree with you because we're reasonable human beings for the most part. When we went to see the Preakness back in the day, okay? I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. All right, fine. Yes, point taken. Fine. 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 No, I will tell the Preakness stories when we get to the Preakness. We're saving it for those days. That's it. We're out of here. Goodbye. Talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.